Welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases with Pointy and the Moose. We've made a return to Moose's backyard. Because it's been winter. It's been... uh overgrown out here it's been not the nicest place to podcast from so it is kind of a return i can't even remember the last one we did out here my memory is pretty foggy of some of these podcasts for obvious reasons our guest today is a mate of mine and also a colleague that i've been wanting to get on the podcast for a while because he's Never a man short of words. <laughs> True that. His name is Aaron Carney. He's a broadcaster, sports commentator, and general all-round nice guy. Hello. Hi. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Fan also, you left out. Fan of the show. He was just saying look, that off look, mic look, as well. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> so please record a promo for us. <laughs> happy to. Happy to. <laughs> So, aside from aside from uh, the compliments, which we're very <laughs> open to, what's our subject? We danced with a few different ideas, but I think we're going to go with because it's actually one I've wanted to do on the radio, but I haven't quite been, I haven't had the the space to frame it quite right. But yeah. pop culture stuff, what everyone else got right into, <laughs> but completely passed you by. Yeah. So when you were the odd one out, when everyone was on a thing, whatever yeah. that thing would be. And that's a perfect one for me as well because I'm the kind of person that hears everyone else getting into it and just goes, fuck that. <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't even want to bother. I'm the kind of guy that was wearing like paisley and flower prints when everyone's into punk in yeah. the 70s. You know, so I'm, if, if you start late, don't start at all. That's yeah, a thing. No. Either be on the front of the wave or give it a miss. Exactly. Right. But you're a little bit different. Well, I, well, just to take that to another level, sometimes it's kind of, I deliberately don't do it at the time. But I know that I'm going to come back to it. Because it's like, well, there must be some value here, but I want the time and distance so you can look at it properly rather than getting swept up in the, the moment. Which kind of takes me across something which we will touch on for a second, but it's sort of our other possible topic which we pulled away from for some reason. What was it again? About about the shared space, the Mm. shared media space. About the shared media space and the completely different way of engaging with pop culture and media, which means you can do that. You can go, okay, I'm not going to get into it right now because everyone's going nuts over it. But rather than going, well, I've missed it this week, so I'm never going to see it again. Or, like, I think... um, Nat's parents had a Twin Peaks party because they'd taped the finale and the tape didn't work, so they were really dirty about it for a couple of years because, like, when are we ever going to see this again? Yeah, when are we ever going to see that again? But now you can download it, you can get it on DVD, Blu-ray, TV, like, time shift it. You can do whatever, which means you can do that. Yeah, no, and I think we we talked about that a little bit in the episode we did with um, Nick Gerber a couple Mm. of weeks ago, Mm. and uh, we were also sort of talking about it in the context of sport uh, because that's probably the one thing that you have to watch live because otherwise there really is no point watching it. Last week's podcast as well was the one we recorded during the NRL Grand Final, which brings us to... I think we mentioned that as well. The fact that this can only be watched live and with millions of other people across the country right now. One of the things that I have been doing in my time recently is doing a Masters in Communication (laughs) and Journalism, so I've been spending countless hours studying this sort of stuff. And in fact the Murdoch pay-per-view model is built almost entirely now around sport for precisely the reason that you just articulated. It's the only thing that I must have now. Yeah. 
Nothing else has that immediacy anymore, except maybe a breaking news event, but how do you monetize that? You yeah, know? and I mean, everyone... And, and is it ethical to monetize <laughs> some of that stuff? Right, right, right. <laughs> but it comes down to the like that whole everyone's joining up to US Netflix via a router as opposed to paying for Foxtel because, I mean, they can get it quicker, they can get more content, and that's the kind of thing. Nobody wants to pay for something that's uh, time behind, and sport is the one thing that you can't pay. There's zero tolerance of gatekeepers anymore. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, that, totally. that the old media model that we all lived under and grew up under uh, is dead, okay. and, and the user-controlled media experience is the... It's now so ubiquitous, it's the only thing that people will tolerate. They oh, will yeah. not stand anyone telling them when they will watch anything. Yeah, and funnily enough, talking about like time-shifting things and sport being one of the things you can't... I remember my first ever spoiler alert that I was, I was the problem in that. I remember that my dad taped a night's game because uh, he was out and he wanted to watch it, and I'd... I was watching the TV upstairs because mum had the news on mm. and they were talking about the Knights win and how much buy and I was like, oh, well, I'll go downstairs and tell dad he's watching it now. He won't have to finish it. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> now as an adult, I'm like, why? Why? It was like the time I, we were having fish and I just looked at the fish and went, poor fishy, and then everyone didn't want to eat. I couldn't understand why. <laughs> I don't know how into... I, I think you're, a, from my observance of you, you're a, you're a casual enthusiast with sport. Yeah. But can you? could you ever watch a sports game if you knew what the outcome was? No. No. I can't really either. It's difficult because um, it's like, well, it's, it's like when people run out of the stadium when they think they know the end score and like that Knights game that happened six months ago where they scored like three tries and converted him in the last five minutes and everyone that left was... Well, the, the, the All Blacks scored five minutes into... Well, 30 seconds into time added on last night to beat the Wallabies by one point, which was a case in point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And uh, everyone's walking out. You know, you think you know the end of it, so it's no not worth watching yeah. anymore. And yet you wouldn't necessarily take that attitude to a movie, no. would you? No, you wouldn't. No. no, in some cases, I deliberately spoil it, mm. spoil it for myself. Yeah. Well, and I, and I'll it. research it before I watch it, and I'll already know the whole plot and the ending, but, but I'll still you, enjoy it. You want to make sure it's worth your 13 bucks. But his wife was complaining to me a couple of uh, months ago <laughs> about the fact that he was eating Doritos and sitting there Googling Doritos and the origins <laughs> and the making of them. It's like, you can't help yourself. It's You're very like, meta. Very yeah. Well, you know, I, I think if you are watching something, <laughs> investing time in it or eating it, know a bit about it. Yeah. 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 Why not? I'm on Get board. to know your food. I'm on board. See, I was on something with poor fishy. I was getting to know my food. But, um... Okay, so talking about stuff that passed you by that everyone else loved, we can go music, we can go movies, but we'll get there eventually. Um, Pointy was writing a list of different things earlier, and one of the things he wrote under the things heading (laughs) was sport, in that, like, I wasn't a huge fan of sport up until a couple of years ago when I started really doing tech for NRL and A-League and started really understanding those two sports a hell of a lot more. And as we've mentioned in the podcast as well, especially the one where we... um, observed my nephew's soccer game the kingfishers Kingfishers versus the enemy Um, (laughs) that I did play soccer but I didn't really understand sports for a very long time and I think you've been the same right? Oh for sure and the most telling sign in my past is when I was in I don't know under sevens or whatever I just used to sit on the grass and watch the clouds and I think that's a nice little summary of um, (laughs) of my take on sport I just don't think I'm a particularly competitive person Mm. I mean don't get me wrong everyone likes to win but I just, yeah, I'm not into things for competing or beating somebody else. But you would have grown up 
with a lot of people who were specifically like into sports, like really into sports, because that's something you can get super passionate about. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I grew up in Beresfield, so yeah, def- sports definitely a big thing there. Sports cars, that's yeah. what people do. Yeah. Uh, so I was probably a little bit of a an outsider in in that regard, but yeah, but I don't think I missed out on anything. Like I know what it's about. I get it, mm. and. I wish I was more into sport because it's a great thing. You do get to have those shared experiences with your friends and at a larger level as well, but, yeah, just not for me, I don't think. We did have that shared experience during the podcast. It was an interesting experience. You always into sports? Um, Yes. It says my relationship with sports says a lot about my, uh, my personality type is that growing up there were certain things that I was good at mm. and I was uh, academically quite adept and sport was the one area where I had to struggle to yeah. to compete and that was a real burr in the saddle for me <laughs> yeah. and I needed to be I needed to engage with that weakness that yeah. was that was who I was and in doing so it revealed itself to me and even though I had some level of success in sport. I played some representative rugby and I played first grade cricket and such. I always got a lot of joy out of that because I had it didn't come naturally. I had yeah. to work so hard to get it. Whereas certain other things that I probably ostensibly achieved better at, I didn't have to work as hard for them. And right. and, and, and now in observation of others, see Andrew Johns Andrew Johns doesn't try to play <laughs> footy any harder than you and I do when we play touch. Mm. He's talented at it, mm. right? And that's not to diminish his professionalism no, or whatever. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is some people can string a sentence together, some people can play a guitar, yeah. and, and for me it was always that elusive thing that didn't come easily, which is why I chased it so hard. And I use this analogy way too much in every second podcast, but it's the album that you hated at first or you didn't get at first and you went, no, I don't get it, I don't get it, that you spend the time with and really try to rather than throwing it in the trash and just going, actually, that you love. You know, It's the girl that says, nope, yeah. that you chase, that you really want, and then it's, it's the chase and the reward. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish I had that feeling yeah. with sport, but like I guess I do. Have, I do know that feeling though in regards to you know things at work and. Are you a gamer? Def- uh, not particularly. See, it's uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, like I do play. I, I see gaming being a proxy for that sometimes as well. Mm. Uh, I probably was as a kid, right. uh, but yeah, not as an adult. Mm. Um, I was as a teenager, and I was always the kind of gamer that, like. I didn't... If I was... It's the same thing. If I was succeeding in it and I was getting through the levels, I could easily turn it off, go have dinner, do whatever else. But if I wasn't, I'd be like, shit, I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep... Mm. It's like we got... um, Like Disney Infinity was on special for like 30 bucks. I'm like, well, that'll entertain the nieces and nephews when they come over and certainly entertain me. (laughs) And um, I was playing the Incredibles level and there's a... Um, an easy, a medium, and a hard. And I'd done the easy, I'd done the medium, and I sat there for probably an hour while Nothing Cutesy was working on wedding invitations, just going, come on, I've got to beat this hard one. I was three gold globes off, like, getting the hard level. <laughs> well, the games that I played, and this is probably going to be telling as well, sort of didn't have any point to them as such. Mm. Um, so I was really into the, um, like, adventure games like, Monkey Island, yeah. Day of the Tentacle. They're kind of there's they're not your typical games. You're just walking through a world. I'll use this with that door, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I was just 
Yeah, I don't it's know. level of engagement, it's like playing Mario Kart as opposed to Metal Gear Solid or something like that that you have to invest in and think strategy and mm. think that kind of thing and be prepared to go through a level a hundred times to get through it. Mario Kart, if you fall off the track, you just get you back on. You know? Speaking of be prepared, I, I was in the Scouts, though, growing up, so not, it's not sport, but I guess it's kind of related. There was badges, it was collecting, so that was probably why I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that, again, is an example of... Uh, being forced to engage with something that doesn't necessarily come naturally because if yeah. you've got your sewing badge, your cooking badge and your phys ed badge, those are quite different skill sets and yeah. I, I was a cub as well and had a borderline obsession with getting all of the badges because for exactly that reason yeah. it's, it's the climbing Everest thing, why do you do it? Because it's there. Totally Yeah. But before we move on to the easy target topic of um, music, movies, culture, the only other thing you had in things was cars, and that was a big thing for me of things that everyone else was really into that passed you by. Because me too, yeah, me too, big time, yeah. As in, you didn't have a car, or just weren't interested in a car? Well, I had a car, pointy, <laughs> but it was a bright orange Galant that was older than oh, I was. Nice. So you know. Yeah. The, there, there, are, there are certain individuals that would uh, not call that a car. But nobody builds character by growing up driving a BMW, exactly you know? Exactly right. Could not agree more. No, no well, well, it, it might it, build character, but maybe not the right one. Not yeah. the right one. Yeah, yeah quite. Yeah, the douche-mobile. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even in my career, I've had a couple of opportunities where if I had been a car guy, it could have really opened some interesting doors for me. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I really pride myself and direct myself to embrace, as I said, embrace the uncommon, embrace the foreign, embrace the uncomfortable. And I try with cars and I enjoyed them on some level. And indeed, I went on, I did some documentaries on four-wheel driving and stuff that hmm. I absolutely adored, but that actually wasn't really, it wasn't the, the four-wheel... It's about the documentary making rather than the car. And the adventure, yeah. not not the actual vehicles. And uh, yeah, yeah, I could have probably had some really cool gigs if I was more into them, but I never quite got it. Yeah, totally. And it comes, like, well, my future father-in-law and brother-in-law and future father-in-law and two brother-in-laws are really into cars. One of them's like constantly doing up a Tirana that's breaking down yeah. and the other two go to car shows now and then but it's telling that the one picture they always send me from car shows is when someone's brought a Batmobile. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, they I send me a that. picture of the Batmobile. I get that. You're like, that guy. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, I get that car. I get why you would want that car. Yeah. yeah. But- and, and I can I can... Uh, intellectualize why it would be really enjoyable to pull an engine apart and put it back together. I imagine that's a yeah. really rewarding thing, but I couldn't imagine myself oh, no. doing that. Oh, no. no. No, that just seems like work. It really does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, uh, for cars for me, yeah, well, as I mentioned a bit before, growing up in Berryfield, cars were a big thing. Yeah. I didn't get my first car until I was maybe 23, mm-hmm. and I had it for about a year then didn't have another car again until I was 29. Oh, man. And I always had this um, this thing I used to go around and tell everybody was that I'll get my licence by the time I'm 30. That was my thing, and I did. I achieved it at the age of 29, so I got there eventually. So how would you... What, what are the logistics of that? See, because I grew up in the bush, and if you didn't have a car, you didn't yeah. go anywhere. So how, what were the logistics of that? I just got the train. So yeah. where I was living in Beresfield was maybe a 20-minute walk to the train station, uh, I lived in Mayfield for a while, just down the road here, so I was pretty close to Waratah Station. And when I lived in Sydney, I was at Newtown, so 
yeah, was right. pretty central to everything. That's cool. So I guess if you've got the opportunity to live without a car, it just seemed like an extra complication to me. Yeah, yeah. And in other places, it's so easy to live without a car, like because we're going to Japan for our honeymoon and mm. the amount of people that have cars as opposed to don't because yeah. of the public transport yeah. systems and getting around. But one of the things I found endearing about Pointy when I met him is that, I, I mean, I'm blind as a bat. I can't drive legally. I've never been able to. And this is a man who just didn't like driving, chose not to drive, was never in the position to have a car and drive. And I was kind of like, all right. This guy gets what I'm going through. Like, yeah. buses are a pain in the ass sometimes, but they're a necessity, and trains are better than buses because they get there on time and this and that. And, like, he understood that. And I was yeah. like, cool. When I was young, part of it was also about the responsibility. I didn't feel like I should have that responsibility to be driving a car because <laughs> I was like, I'm 17, I'm dumb. Yeah. Like, Gee, I, uh, wish more, I, I wish more people had that instinct. I, really I was kind of like, people. my attention drifts and I go, oh, shiny things. Yeah. No, should I really be behind a car? Yeah, that's it. Respect for that attitude because those dicks in the fast lane, they need to be thinking like you. Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Like it, yeah. The thought just terrified me. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. But do you, you, you must have that experience though of like encountering people who are really into cars and just thinking that's the norm. You know, people that are really into anything think that's the norm. You know. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Not not so much anymore. I think when you get to, well, my age or our age, you sort of hang around with like-minded people. So yeah, I, I don't really have a lot of friends that are crazy about cars. That's true. I, I have a suspicion that maybe tech scratches that itch for a certain percentage of the population oh, in a way yeah. that it wasn't open to... Uh, well, I think that some of the people who are into cars in the 70s, for example, yeah. might now be gamers if that was the case. Yeah. Or people who are into cars, uh, well, uh, throwing bikes into that as well, you know, might be tech heads now. Yeah. You know? There are a lot of hi-fi guys back in the 70s who weren't car guys. Yeah. Hi-fi was the alternative. So, yeah, I wonder whether that's, just, you know, and, and once upon a time there was much more of a uh, competitive advantage. If you knew cars... You could make money. You could get the yeah. right car at the right price. Now they are—you're arguing over a couple of hundred bucks. You know, yeah. the, the internet and the car yards are such that you can still buy you a know lemon. How much it's worth? You do, like, yeah. and and it's there's a million references and whatever. There's actually no competitive advantage in knowing your stuff in quite the way there was then. Oh, so, absolutely, uh, and I like that thing that in the like the you imagine like the 50s 60s as like surfing cars that kind of thing that was the two big fads Dan- phenomenon Dan- there would have been dancing guys like the yeah. amount of people in Newcastle who met their significant other at a dance at a school hall or a church hall you know that was the thing that was one of the few things that there was to do socially and culturally and now you can do anything and yeah. interact with absolutely anyone but I never thought of my dad as a super like bikey kind of guy and I always wondered why he had a bike like a motorcycle growing up Mm. well in his late teens early 20s and I found out two days ago actually because I was talking to him and he was talking for some reason about bikies and motorbikes and that kind of thing and he mentioned I thought that's right we were talking about being the younger sibling and how everything opens up to you because the strictness goes to the top two and then if you're the third or the fourth or the fifth it's like do what you want they fought Um, all the battles for you yeah, yeah um he was like he watched his older brother um, get denied getting a motorcycle no you can't get it you can't get it you can't have a motorcycle and then he finally got it and broke the rules and got in trouble for it all that kind of stuff and by the time he got a license um, his mother out of the blue said oh you can get a motorcycle if you want and he goes oh I didn't really want one but if you're letting me okay sure yeah. 
and just got one because it's like, okay, I didn't want one, but this is something I know I wasn't allowed to have, so... Completely off topic. Yeah. But somebody once said to me, long before I was a dad, (laughs) find out the thing that your kid wants most in the world and give them everything but that. (laughs) (laughs) And what was the reason? The reason being that it's really important to dream of something that you'll never get yeah. to to aspire because often the object in your mind is far greater than the reality oh, and yeah. and the joy of having something that's just beyond your practical horizon is a really valuable thing for a young mind and, yeah. and I've it never left me I've thought about it a lot and I try and do it as much as possible with my kid now but yeah. it just that it rem, what that story reminded me of that philosophy that says you know oh I didn't actually want the bike in the end I just wanted to dream that I wanted the bike <laughs> Huh? You know, the- I dreamt that I wanted new Star Wars movies <laughs> growing up, and, the, and then I and then I got them, and uh, that's about all I'll say on that. Which brings it back to gaming, though. Like I always wanted, to, like I always wanted a PlayStation, Nintendo, all the way. I'm 28, so all the way through the early 90s, I was like, all these different consoles, it, like were breaking out and going gangbusters, and I couldn't have any of them. My parents were like, no, you're not getting one, you're not getting one, and I dreamed of a PlayStation. PlayStation, a PlayStation, and then two years after it was out, like in the late 90s, I, I got one, yeah. and I opened it up on Christmas morning, and my brother gave me shit about it. He's like, oh, you got a PlayStation. Oh, you're going you're gonna to not do your homework. You're going to grow up like the square eyes, blah, blah, blah. And I cried because I was like a little 10-year-old that wanted this PlayStation for like five years, and I wanted a Nintendo 64, and I wanted all that stuff. Yeah. And I played my older brother's Atari for like however many years, and I was like, oh... I don't want this anymore. But, but see how you're articulating the philosophy of the idea there that there is something very formative and important about wanting something elusive. Oh, yeah. It's actually a really important experience oh, yeah. to have. And because God knows, unless uh, Powerball falls for you, you're going to spend <laughs> a whole chunk of the rest of your life dreaming of something that will probably be just beyond your grasp. Oh, but, yeah. But, but there's something fundamentally enjoyable about dreaming too. I mean, it? the whole of society wants a mansion and a cliffside pool and all that kind of stuff. Right. And you, that's kind of part of the reason we like watching stuff like that on TV because it's like, I'd love doing that. Yeah. Dreaming matters, and you've got to actually learn it like you learn every other skill. Totally. And going from cars to the massive, vast, cavernous topic of movies, um, (laughs) Cars was always a movie I passed by because I'm like, I'm not into Cars. I'm not into that kind of thing. Mm. And now, like, I went on a whim with somebody else to see Cars 2, and I was like, shit, I better get into Cars 1 because this is awesome. I've not seen Cars or Cars 2. No, but, like, what are some of the movies, kind of cultural phenomenons, like, that you passed over? And, I mean, I'm talking everything from I was always into Star Wars and thought Star Trek was weird. Uh, Well, a current one, uh, for me, is probably Frozen. Frozen mad at the moment. Hell, I've I'm not mad. have not seen it. I don't really know what it's about. Carney, you've got a young daughter. Yeah, 
fascinating because the two that you've raised there are both on my radar as well. First of all, Frozen watched it for the first time about two weeks ago, yeah. even though I reckon I could have sung every word of every song prior yeah. to having seen the movie because of the cultural phenomenon yeah. that it is. Uh, so I finally did the Frozen thing and, yeah, I guess it was a bit like McDonald's. I can see why six billion got served, but also it won't bother me if I don't have another one anytime soon. Yeah. But... I also had the Star Wars Star Trek thing. Yeah. To the best of my knowledge, my f- I saw Star Trek for the first time when that last movie came out about 9 months ago. Really? Yeah, that's the Star first Trek ever yeah. That was the first Star Trek movie I'd ever seen and I've never seen an episode of Star Trek in its entirety to yeah. my knowledge. But the reason is very different and it kind of echoes the topic that didn't make yeah. the grade today <laughs> is that the last topic. I had Channel 5A and Channel 3, and Channel 3 didn't carry Star Trek. Yeah. And so Star Trek wasn't a thing, and therefore it had passed me by, and it had got too far away from me. Meantime, I'd become a Star Wars obsessive, and I don't remember ever actively picking a team, but whatever Star Trek might have offered, Star Wars was satisfying me entirely and And obsessively. And more accessible and more of a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Well, I think with Star Trek, it's probably harder to get into because it's not, well, three or six movies. It's no. like five different series. And multiple casts. Yeah. Yep. And it starts There's like ten, ten movies yeah. of the original lot. Now there's two movies of the reboot. So it's a bit more overwhelming. You can't just, you know, dip your foot in because once you dip it in, it's a deep, deep, deep pool. <laughs> so true. And it's that... It's that thing that you alluded to before as well, where there may have been opportunities for me to join, but I thought it almost gets a, a Freemason's quality. Unless you know the secret handshake, you don't feel welcome in in that room, do you? You know, you don't feel comfortable on that turf. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those shows that's um, probably a bit more philosophical yeah. than than Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that probably is a you know. A, boys club sort of thing to it where if you're in the know then you've got to know the secret handshake and i think it has to do certainly i can funnily enough i only walked past it the other day it's now a church uh but the now what was it called the cinema that's in hunter street uh the kensington no the one further west uh so it's more or less opposite bank corner there okay Um, Anyway, it's one of those churches now. It's a theatre. And I can remember... I'm pretty sure Star Wars, the original, came out 1976. Does that sound right to you? 77, right, which puts me at five years old. And it... So I lived it as the cultural phenomenon, you know, that redefined all the things that it is now in historical perspective. I lived that as a five-year-old. And I was ready for what... Star Wars was bringing... I was ready for a space opera at five or six years old. I don't know whether I was ready for the philosophical disposition of Star Trek. Now, for sure, but then the demographic crossover, I was right ready for the Star Wars picking. Yeah. I was Luke Skywalker's mini-me in my own mind. 
I like. I went to pee and I came back in the middle of that. I like that. I like that. Sound <laughs> and there's a cautionary tale: don't be Luke Skywalker. Be Han Solo, kids. Be Han Solo. Han Solo gets the girl, doesn't kiss his sister. <laughs> exactly right. Um, I remember um, seeing Star Wars for the first time because I'd been playing soccer, which comes back to sports, and I was like. Mm come home from playing soccer I was goalie that day it's like I don't remember any else of my soccer games but I remember all about the one pre-Star Wars um, and I came home covered in mud and mum's like get in the bath got in the bath put my pyjamas on because it was the only thing I had to, could find to put on and went and sat down on a rainy day and I said Josh what are you watching and it was Star Wars and mm. it was like that experience where you watch any time in a movie or something when you watch a young guy watching Star Wars it's just that look on his face it's like whoa that's what I had and now I've got like a tauntaun sleeping bag on the spare bed I carry a like an R2-D2 um, lunch bag to work I can't help but I'm super fanboy I got to go through that with my seven year old daughter awesome six six eight weeks ago something like oh, that great. and yeah and because I wanted her I wanted her to be sufficiently grown up mm. that she would get the awe mm. <laughs> that she would be able to yeah follow the the opera get the idea and and and, and, and it not happened just, not just the flashing light exactly sort of because yeah. particularly for kids of this era it's all about noise, you know, from the day oh, they're born, yeah. the, 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 yeah. the Disney noise comes out. I needed her to be able to get it on a slightly deeper level, mm. and she did. I got, you know what you just described? I got to see that play out on oh, a little awesome. kid. It was very, very cool. But now I've got to make the call as to what's appropriate, you know. She certainly yeah. isn't seeing some of the later offerings. Is The Empire Strikes Back? Okay, well, I guess if you, um, so if, did if, you, if you don't mind somebody minutes? sleeping. I'm, I made the tough decision to do it in our universe's chronological order. Yeah, and sl slightly age-appropriate order as well. It, 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 it is in that way. Yeah. yeah, it has certainly grown up. Yeah, so she... Uh, well, put it this way. We'll see what plays out in the long game. But mm. I wanted her to see the fast, the first Star Wars, which is episode four, isn't it? Yeah. 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 The first Star Wars first. Yeah. Well, there's a, a running list that's favoured by some fans that are watching or showing their kids for the first time. And I think it's episode four... And five, so you see Star Wars, yep. New Hope, see The Empire Strikes Back, you hear the reveal of Luke, I'm your father. Yeah. Then you watch one, two, three, right. and it's like, okay, so here's Anakin as a kid, yeah. it's a troubled yeah. teenager, oh shit, he does become Darth Vader. Yeah. Then episode six, so Return of the Jedi last, and then it's his big redemption. Yeah, that works. So, that yeah. Wow. Like, so I kind of want to wipe my memory just so that I can experience that? Because there is some challenges around... Um, some of the stuff is not okay for a seven-year-old girl. No, no. Uh, severed limbs and, yeah. you know... The... Everyone has to lose a hand in stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like... And, and, and isn't it weird about contextual violence as well? Because I reckon she could handle the I'm your father mm. severance, but I don't know that she could handle some of the other... Well, you know, Anakin's early misadventures. Oh, yeah. or I'm not sure whether she would do... And I don't know whether that's about she would relate to the age or yeah. uh, the emotional backstory or what. But it's funny how you just get a vibe for what they would or wouldn't cope with. I don't know. A New Hope's got some pretty brutal moments. Poor um, oh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru being scorched yeah. to skeletons. <laughs> like, that's yeah, pretty bad. That's right. yeah, and yeah, the yeah. Family Guy parody is pretty of... casual as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 it like, is. Just sitting well, in the background. So that's that. Yeah. <laughs> the Family Guy parodies of Star Wars make very much the point of that, that mm. when 
uh, Obi Wan dies, he's devastated. But when uh, his aunt and uncle died, he's so casual about it. He's yeah. like, "Oh, it's awful." Yeah, yeah. Okay, where's Obi Wan? Yeah. You know. But I was going to show my nine, ten-year-old nephew mm. on Friday night Jurassic Park, and I remember the first time when Jurassic Park came out, my dad said, "Oh, we'll take you to see Jurassic Park." And my nan said to my mum, "Oh." Um, don't. I've heard that's really scary. And then I was horrified because I didn't get to see it till it came out on VHS. I was like, ah! Which, you know, wasn't too much of a difference in age. But um, I do... I went to... I was like, okay, I had that thought. Oh, no, it's not too scary for him. It's okay. And then I said, mate, have you ever seen Jurassic Park? And he goes, oh, yeah, I've seen that. I was like, yeah. oh, that, that's, that's well, all that down. I thought about... I showed him Jumanji instead. Podcast for another day. But uh, there's some really interesting conversation to be had around and you know these are what the censors are dealing with all the time uh implied versus overt violence yeah. and, and scariness see the thing for me the boom and the puddle tremoring is in many ways more terrifying or, or put it this way the velociraptors are much more terrifying than the t-rex oh yeah and uh, so there's you know there's implied i have seen many thrillers well okay here's an example um uh, help me, help me out here. The um, the horror series where the ghost is in their house and they set up the cameras inside. Um, paranormal activity. Paranormal, paranormal activity. Paranormal activity, yeah. right? Versus Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I realise they're not mm. exactly the same genre, but there there are moments of implied tension in that that are infinitely more terrifying and damaging than somebody going under the back wheel of a, yeah. of a truck. Oh yeah, and putting so, it out, putting it out to. Um, Star Wars as well, watching mm. Obi-Wan die and the kind of disappearance and the clothes falling to the floor as opposed to watching Qui-Gon Jinn, Liam Neeson die and there's a hole through his stomach yeah, that's yeah, bleeding yeah, out. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh my god! Uh, uh. It's like it's the same wound we're looking at. My god, different dealings. Well, I, I remember having some level of trauma. I must have been, I don't know, 10 maybe, but it was mm. a gentler time. I remember having some level of trauma about the idea of sleeping inside your animal's innards in order to stay <laughs> yeah, alive yeah. as well. So, uh, By the way, the Tauntaun sleeping bag I have, <laughs> its zip is a blue lightsaber, and on the inside it's like the lining of guts. Nice! Yeah, it's really great. <laughs> as an adult, I really appreciate that. But, I mean, they're, they're, like, we're going so off topic oh, yeah, here, yeah. but I, like, I, I... I think people are used to that by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, what did they say in the wedding podcast? You keep it together and I ram it into the ground. <laughs> um... <laughs> My friend's son um, went through a stage, I think it was like three-ish, four-ish, no, he must have been about four, that he just got up and, like, after he went to bed, an hour after he went to bed, and just kind of hid behind the couch and just knew he'd get in trouble, knew he'd be put back to bed. But one night they were watching the crime series drama, forensic series Bones, yes. and um, at the start of each episode they have a setup of a crime, and that particular night that he snuck out of bed and hid behind the couch, they were pulling their car out of a bog in the mud and it um, revealed a buried body and the face, like when they uh, tyres were spinning, was ripped off and landed on the guy's chest. And so he clearly... Hardcore. He absorbed that, went to bed. They did not know he'd been up. He just hid behind the couch and went back to bed and they were sitting talking, watching the movie or the show and he got up in the morning and he's like oh they're on the TV last night with the face on his chest and they were like oh my god what are you talking about then they remembered what they'd watched and he was like oh my god wow and they're like oh god you weren't meant to see that forever traumatised can you remember the thing that traumatised you when you were a kid like the thing that stayed with of of the moment I I can and I spoke about it on the episode we did with Nothing Cutie (laughs) the one thing that scared me growing up um, was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves 
was the witch in that. Like, I got really, really scared. Mm. Yeah. And it's a cartoon. <laughs> and, I, and I watched, like, scarier movies as, like, probably at an age that was when I shouldn't have been watching them. Mm. But that didn't worry me at that age. Once I was, like, eight, nine, I sort of knew that, okay, that's scary, but it's not real, so I'm not scared by it. Yeah. But, but I think movies now try and scare people based on sounds, though, and I don't kind of don't get behind that. Like the... Yeah, like something it's like went, just yeah. something abrupt. Telegraphing your punches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can remember uh, I had three younger sisters and we had a whole thing around whether or not there was going to be a babysitter. So I must have been about 12 oh, yeah. or... I must have been about 12 or 13. Yeah. And I convinced mum and dad that I was okay to look after my sisters. Was, yeah, well, there would have been three of them at that point, so it would have been sort of three, seven and ten or something. And I convinced them we didn't need a babysitter. So it was my first night <laughs> that I did the babysitting duties on the sisters. Yeah. And so I had control of the TV. I was allowed to stay up, all of that sort of thing. And Deliverance was on... Mm. Uh, well, it must have been on NBN because... That was that's all that yeah. would have been there at the time, and alone on the farm in charge of the three little sisters for the yeah. first time, and there's arrows through legs, and there's I can't hear you, boy. And it's, and it's more about the thought of it as well. It's oh like, well, I'm in charge here, <laughs> yeah. and if this happens to me, <laughs> and, I, and I can remember mum and dad coming home, you know, and like, so how'd you cope with it? And I'm in the fetal position. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember that when I was, like, I didn't really have the scared moment too much because, I mean, and it's a subject for a whole nother internal psychological <laughs> podcast of my mother and sister watching Once Were Warriors and just saying, yeah, Grant, just turn you back to the TV and play. Man, the sound of that movie is scarier than the vision. Um, I a scary movie. That's a really yeah. scary movie. But it's like, oh, just turn around, take with you back to the DV and play. That's not going to... Anyway. Um, <laughs> my... We don't want to dig up too much. No, no. no. <laughs> my uncle always let us watch uh, VHS of the 1989 Tim Burton Batman film, which is one of my favourite films of all time. And I always loved that film, but the Joker always gave me a creep out because Jack Nicholson's Joker does. But, I mean, and the alternative to that is he would only let us watch the first five minutes of Rocky Horror because <laughs> after that it just all goes to hell. But, I mean, appropriateness... What are you getting out of the first five minutes in Rocky Horror, yeah. though? You're getting the what wedding scene and Damn It Janet. We got Damn It Janet and that's what I thought damn it ended it, at. Yeah, right. Um... <laughs> Some would argue it should have, no. <laughs> but um, I remember uh, my my granddad's funeral. I was not to go; I was too young, and I was babysat by one of the street neighbors' house because I was friends with their kids, and they had the um, 1989 Batman soundtrack. It was all done by Prince, and the Bat Dance I occasionally get drunk and put on for people at people's houses, much to their delight or. Uh, disdain. Disdain. <laughs> um, but there's one track where it breaks down and just features the Joker's laugh at the start or the middle, mm. and it's all quotes from the Joker kind of remixed and sampled in, and that scared the shit out of me. I could watch the movie, but the kids had all kind of just put it on and they were like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, and I think it was just being at someone else's house yeah. on the night of the granddad's funeral and the Joker was laughing and it was echoing through the house and I was like, yep, done. Nope, yeah, cool, done with no, that. That's cool. <laughs> so... What you guys are more into music than me. What what music completely passed you by? Uh, maybe not passed me by, but there's definitely one band that comes to mind that I ignored at the time. Uh, the Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, right. 
their first album maybe came out in 2005 or 2006. Mm. And I remember just thinking, oh, I don't need that. That's yeah. well, there's plenty of good rock and roll bands. I don't don't need any of that. I don't really get what the fuss is all about. Mm. And then last year with their most recent release, um, AM. I got really into that and I went to see them play the year before not really knowing any of their songs and now I think they're fantastic. But I think it might have been one of those examples of gives things a bit of time, wait to get into it and sometimes that's good especially for music because then you've got the chance to go back and discover a whole catalogue of work instead of just getting into one album. Yeah, sometimes things do have to come to you. If you're into something like you guys are with music or whatever... Mm you tend to rush at things, particularly if they've got any buzz attached to them, you rush at them. Uh, but there is some value in the mountain coming to Muhammad. Mm. Mm. Well, look, I'm, I'm oft criticised for not being discerning enough because I can see the value in almost any music. I can see that if it's to the point where you've spent $50,000 on a recording budget and put it together, someone's seen the value in it and it's worth doing even if you don't like it. But, and I... God help me, I don't like Pink. I really don't understand. I feel the music is incredibly noxious, but I understand the purpose it fills and the reason and the place in culture it sits. Yeah. But um, Arcade Fire was always a band for me that I was like, oh, God, no, no, no. I just... like Arcade Fire. Yeah, but the first couple of albums, I was just, eh. But then I went to see... Uh, I went to the Big Day Out with um, previous podcast guests Hannah and Nick Gerber, and... They really wanted to see Arcade Fire and seeing them live, like your Arcade arcade Monkeys, um, like your Arctic Monkeys experience. Patent pending. Like they walked on stage and they had like giant paper mache style heads and hearing the music live sounded so much different to what I'd heard on record and by the end of it they shot confetti into the air and I was a fan, you know. I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. You are a fan of spectacles though. I love spectacles. (laughs) It's interesting to me because vast decades of music to some degree because I I always sought out the music that I dug and so you know there is entire genres of music that um, that passed me by but if we're telling stories about things that got away from us but then we re-engaged with mm. I had an experience a few years ago I, I never really got into blues or roots at mm. all and then a few years ago somebody I think my sister I should give her credit uh, just bought me a Lazotte's ticket yeah. like a gift voucher yeah. for a night at Lazotte's and um, it got away from me and down to the last three weeks before it expired and we went oh gee we better do it and there was the only thing that even vaguely took our attention well, there was a couple of you know acts that we'd seen before and whatever else, and and I said to uh, to my then girlfriend, now wife, let's go and do something we would never normally see. We've never yeah. got a blank sheet like this. We've never got an opportunity to go and see something we wouldn't normally see. Yeah. Let's go. And we went and saw a Muddy Waters tribute show. Oh, cool! Oh, nice. And it blew my socks off. And it was like. <laughs> Oh, so that's what all the fuss is about. That's what blues is about. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and we've gotten right. In fact, probably my last five album purchases have been bluesy of some description because uh, uh, I also find that in my busy life, (laughs) 
music manages to get on, <laughs> manages to get a start as I'm, you know, preparing food for friends to come around that night or, you know, yeah, stocking yeah. an esky or something. And it's perfect for that kind of thing. And at the other end of that night, when you're having a final drink and lazing around before falling asleep, yeah, it works at both ends of that day. So, yeah, so it tends to get a lot of starts. Oh, absolutely. Part 1. Check back next week for Part 2. Movies, TV and more music.